Hi, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we have really, really the, arguably the, the greatest Parsha um, of the whole Torah to learn together today. And um, it's Parsha's Yisro, which is the giving of the Torah itself. And um, this is the headquarters of, of everything. So, so uh, in truth, you could really say uh, uh, that we're learning Parsha's Yisro all year long. So, but now it's a special privilege to be learning Parshas Yisro on Parshas Yisro, you know, because this is this is the whole thing. This is um, this is the revelation of the Torah. Um, you see, you see, on on a very deep level, the Zohar says that that God and the Torah are one, or that another way of understanding that is that the that the Torah is God's mind, so to speak, and that. Um, like as Reb Shlomo uh, put it one time, that um, when you when you when you do the mitzvot of the Torah, that you're you're dreaming God's dreams, and you're praying God's prayers, right? So so a way to sort of like um, tap into the the oneness that's there is is through the Torah, and and so that's why it's so so essential. Let me put it to you another way. Um, uh, which is that I remember a, a conversation that, or, or a teaching that I heard from Rabbi Manus Friedman that, that was very meaningful to me that sort of sums this up from a different direction. See, a lot of people think when you make a blessing over something, let's say you're, you, you want to eat a cookie, and you, you, so you're going to say, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, you know, you know that, that God, that basically you're, you're 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 elevating the sparks within this food, and you're 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 raising it all up. You're you're acknowledging the source of where this blessing is coming from. Um, so maybe you'd think that before the cookie wasn't holy, but now you say a bracha, now now it's holy, right? But the the deeper way of understanding it is that wait a second, God fills the entire world. God also fills that cookie. So the cookie was holy before you said a bracha. So what are you doing when you're making the, the blessing? Are you making it more holy? No, what, what you're doing is you're revealing the godliness that's there. You see, because God fills the entire world. And God looked into the Torah and he made the world. God made the world actually out of the Torah itself. So, so we, that, that's a big thought. So let me just, just explain that for a second. It's something we've gone over, but it's always good to, to know, which is that you know, let's say you want to take a big trip. So, so that, that involves some planning. So no one like packs all their suitcases, gets to the airport with their family, right? And says, looks at the big board and says, now where should we go? Right? No one does that. Like everyone knows in advance what their plan is, right? So God, before he made the world, he also had a plan for the world. He had thoughts and a desire, a will, a ratzon. This is called the, the ratzon elyon, the higher will. This is, he had a, a will, a desire for what he wanted to create. And then from his will, right, he shaped the thing that he wanted to create, which is this world. So his will for the world was the Torah as it existed before the world was created. Because the Talmud teaches us that the Torah existed before the world was created. But again, as we always say, it wasn't a Torah scroll floating up in outer space. Because there was no time or space. Right? So what was that Torah before the world was created? 
That was God's plan and His desire and His will for the world itself. And then He shaped His will right into the world. So which is why there's a teaching that we don't have the mitzvah of tefillin because we have an arm, but we have an arm because there's a mitzvah of tefillin. (laughs) In other words, he then created a world which was in concert with what his desire was, which were these mitzvot, which are the building blocks of creation. Now, let's get to Parshas Yisro, and you're going to see in a passage here, in a very amazing way, I think, what we've just been saying, all right? And on the, sur- on the surface of it, you'll say, well, wait a second, what's the connection here? I don't see what you're talking about at all. But then we go to the Balaturim and we'll, he'll reveal something quite remarkable. Now, what did we just say? Let's just, just set the stage for this. We just said that the Torah existed before the world was created. Right? So that means there has to be a very strong connection between the creation of the world and the Torah itself, right? Because if the Torah existed before the world was created, then the Torah preceded creation. So creation and the giving of the Torah are basically partners. They're hand in hand. Now, let's see that in the Torah itself. So the verse before the Torah is given. This is a whole verse that I'm going to read you right now. Okay? I'll read it to you first in English. So, what's, first of all, one of the most amazing things about this is how unamazing this verse is going to sound. <laughs> and then you're going to see something very big in it. So here's the whole verse. Ready? God spoke all of these statements saying... That's it. That's the whole verse. What? So what are you going on and on for? That's the verse you're talking about? Okay. And then the very next thing it says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Right? I am God your God. And it begins the Ten Commandments. So this verse before the Torah is given, the Baal Torah, I'll read to you in Hebrew, V'yadaber Elohim eskol hadavarim ha'ele lemor. The Balaturim points out something fascinating about this verse, which is that it's seven words and 28 letters. And the Balaturim says, you know what? There's one other verse in the Torah that's seven words and 28 letters. You know what it is? Breshis bara elokim With beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth, which is the very first verse of the entire Torah. So an amazing thing, before God is giving the Torah, The very first word is he's linking it to the creation of the entire world itself because the entire world is made out of the Torah. So he's aligning these two psukim, these two verses, the creation of the world and the giving of the Torah because the world itself is made out of the Torah. Now, you know, Here you also see something very interesting. We know that God spoke the world into creation. Or as, you know, as we've often said, Reb Shlomo um, put it, and, 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 and there's a, 
we, we see this as well in the Takuni Zohar, that God actually, he didn't just speak the world into creation, God sang the world into creation, which is such a beautiful thing, you know? You know, it's a, like so much of the beauty of the world is that this world is like made out of a song. It's made out of music. It's, it's amazing, actually. Um, and that's why there's actually musical notes over all the letters of the Torah. Because the Torah itself is called a song. In the Torah itself, the Torah itself calls the Torah a song. So, so really, this whole world is, 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 is it's, it's, it's a song. And, 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 and as I think Rabbi Aaron put it one time, God is the singer, and we are the song. Right? And we're not just letters in the Torah. We're musical notes. We're musical notes. And then the question is, like, what kind of, are you, are you in tune or not? <laughs> Something you can ask yourself. You know, have you ever heard a song on the radio and you're like, no, and you just shut it off? <laughs> what do you sound like when you speak? <laughs> what do you sound like when you speak? I mean, I, I shared it with you once, but I, I, my mind circles back to it from time to time. I was once walking down the street in Manhattan and I saw this couple walking toward me. And it was this young couple, I don't know, they were probably in their 20s or whatever it is. And it just, the guy was talking, and I don't know what he was saying. And the, but the woman just was just, just loving every minute of it. Just, just seeing the expression, she was kind of leaning her, her head on his shoulder. That's my memory of it anyway. And, and I was walking toward them, and I walked by them. And I just remember this thought that I had, which was, I was just, I just thought to myself, that's good radio. Like, whatever, whatever he's saying, he's saying the right things, you know? <laughs> whatever music he's playing right now, that is, that's some good music, you know? I'm sorry, does this cut through the rest of the show, or am I lost? I'm lost. <laughs> Thank you. So, 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 you know, everyone should ask themselves that question. You know, what, what kind of music am I playing, Right? Like, is this something that people, like, here's the opposite experience. Have you ever been listening to a song and then you turn it louder? Right? It's like, ah, I want more of that. Right? So we want to be, we want to be the people that people actually turn the volume up as opposed to turn it off, you know? <laughs> so, so, so we're a song. It's, it's, it, it's a song. And, um, but getting back to this idea... And then where do you see it? That, so the Takuni Zohar says that the word breishis, right? If you rearrange the letters of the word breishis, right? And remember, each of the letters, we're not doing anagrams here or bananagrams or whatever it is. It's not, this is not just like wordplay in games. We're talking about the essential energies of the universe. Because when we talk about the letters, when we say God created the world with the letters and things like that, we're talking very highly advanced physics right now. This is, we're talking each of the letters is a different wavelength of energy. And, and it's working on many different levels, right? So we call them letters. But if you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a science to this as well, you know? So, so when we're talking about rearranging the letters of the of the of, of a word, what we're doing is we're 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 looking into the spiritual DNA, right? The energies we're taking an X-ray of the DNA and the spiritual strains within something, and we're seeing like all the different things that are going on simultaneously at the same time. 
So Breshis, the Tukune Zohar says, if you rearrange the letters, right, to get another perspective on what's going on, it makes the word Shiras Olive Bays. It's using all the letters of Breshis, which means the song of the Olive Bays, which, which, is, which is showing you what Rabbi Shlomo is saying, that God saying, remember, Breshis means with beginnings, right? Out of beginnings, meaning the whole world, it's not in the beginning. That's not the proper Torah translation. It means out of the fabric of beginnings, God created the world, right? I heard that from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, right? So that's, that, that's why reality and life is so interesting and amazing, because every moment is a new beginning. You know, this is, this is why none of us are stuck. If you think you're stuck, you're not stuck. It's just in your head. It's just in your head. Because every single moment is a new beginning. Be'emes. Be'emes. Because that's actually the reality of the world. So, so, so Breshis is the song of the olive base. But, 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 but that's already a more advanced teaching, that God sang the world into creation. Normatively speaking, we just sort of use the shorthand and we say God spoke the world into creation. But it's, it means sang, but we'll, we'll say spoke. But, but we'll see something else. Now remember, before the world, before the Torah is revealed with the amazing words, Anochi, right? Where God says, I am, right? And there's a school of thought that, that that's the only thing that God said at Harsina. Just God announced his existence, I am. And that the entire Torah was contained within that, I am. Right? That's, that's, that's heavy. Like, wow, just once God just announced his existence, like everything became revealed and everything became clear, right? Like, again, it's not, it's not the question of when I make a blessing over a cookie, it wasn't holy, but now I'm making it holy. No, I'm revealing the godliness that's there. When God spoke, I am, the Medrash teaches something amazing, that there was no echo to his voice. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains something very beautiful. What does it mean that there was no echo at Mount Sinai when God spoke? So what's the, what's the, what's the physics of an echo? What's the science of it? An echo means that, like, let's say I'm in a canyon, whatever it is, and I go, Yodelehiu, right? Which I'd love to do at some point in my life. <laughs> and... And what would happen is your voice would echo out and then it would hit something that it's not, like the side of a cliff or the side of a mountain. And then the sound waves would bounce off and then that would create this echo. That's how an echo is made. That's the pretty simple, but that's the science of an echo, if you will. So, so now let's go back to what the Medrash says. Now this is going back, you know, many hundreds or thousands of years that when God spoke at Mount Sinai, there was no echo. You know why? Because there's nothing in the world that isn't an aspect of God. There's nothing that's not an aspect of God, so there's nothing to bounce off against because God fills the entire world. (laughs) So, So the voice just keeps on going. But now I'm going to tell you something even heavier. It's not just that at Mount Sinai, when God spoke, it didn't bounce off of anything, right? Because at that moment, God fills the entire world and there's nothing that's not God. But the Torah says 
that the echo from Mount Sinai or the voice from Mount Sinai has never stopped. You see, it also doesn't bounce off of time or space because God fills all of time and all of space. (laughs) So that's why the voice has never stopped because nothing is a wall in front of God. There is no obstacle. Whatever God wants to do, he does. There is no obstacle. I heard Reb Shlomo say in the name of Rebbe Nachman that the reason why we can't hear the voice from Mount Sinai right now is because anger makes the loudest noise in the world. And there's so much anger in the world, it's drowning out the voice of Mount Sinai. So when you, when we do the Torah, like when we do the Torah, be'emes, with love, with a full heart, with our minds and our hearts connected, with all of our hearts, we clarify and harmonize the energies of the world. Right? We put out this amazing energy in the world which resolves and melts away boundaries and borders and, 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 and anger also. See? This is why you have to do... It's not enough to just do the mitzvahs. You have to do them with all of your heart. You know, because... Because it's like, for instance, the the example which is like such a it's such a it's such a compelling kind of thing. I'll give you two examples. Like, can you do the mitzvah of um, let's say I want to do the mitzvah of kibbutz aim honoring my parents. So I want to bring them a plate of food, right? So I bring a plate of food and I just drop it in front of them, right? You know, or I just slam the plate down in a in a in a in a, in a way. Bless you. So that's that's. Can, did I do it? Did I bring them the food? I I did, but I did it in a way that undermines the 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 thing itself. The Ramban says something very interesting. He says, you know, that you can be one thousand percent glot kosher, and still be a glutton and disgusting. Right. So it's 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 it, it, you you have to there's an there's an X factor so to speak to doing the Torah, and and that X factor is doing it with your whole heart, right? Because if you're doing the mitzvahs with anger, right, and with a twisted arm and 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 all of the rest, it's not having this. You're not emitting this clarifying, harmonizing energy into the world. Right, which which is the optimal effect. Now, obviously, everyone is a work in progress. We're all works in progress, and we're all getting better at doing things. Right, so so it's better to do something than not to do it. But then you just try to do it even better. Right. See, Reb Shlomo said at another occasion that Amalek, Amalek is is that nation which is really just so anti God and is you know, sabotaging us and uh, ambushing us in the desert, right? And just, it it represents also a spiritual force akin to the Yet Sahara, which is trying to undermine us and things like that. So Reb Shlomo says that Amalek tells us, you want to do the Torah? Go ahead, do the Torah, do the Torah. Just don't do it with all of your heart. Right? So that's the, that's the, that's the next thing, right? 
And, you know, it's, a, it's really an Elul Torah, but, but we can say it now. So the, I heard again from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe, what's the work of Elul? Remember, Elul is the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's really where we're in the home stretch for the year, and we really try to, you know, put whatever we're doing into overdrive, you know? So, you know, they say that Rebbe Nachman lived his life like every day was Rosh Hashanah. So if Rabbi Nachman could live his life like every day is Rosh Hashanah, maybe we could try to live our life like every day is Elul. You know, maybe we can, you know, maybe we're not going to be at quite that level, but maybe we can be a step below. So what's 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 this Elul teaching? That that um, that that what are we supposed to be fixing in Elul? So so Reb Shlomo says in the name of the Ishbitzer that that. Don't, don't start with what you're doing wrong. Right? Try to fix what you're doing right. <laughs> so what does that mean? Fix what I'm doing right. You say, I'm already doing it. Yeah, but are you doing it with all of your heart? <laughs> start with doing what you're already doing. And then do what you're already doing, but just with all of your heart. And then if you can do with what you're already doing with all of your heart, then that's going to... <coughs> that's going to open up the gates to be able to do more, right? Because you're not taking on a new challenge. You've already, you're already well into this one. Now listen to this. With this in mind, I want to say maybe a new thought. Maybe it's not a new thought, but it was new to me. So, so there's a very interesting Pasuk, an amazing Pasuk, amazing Pasuk, amazing Rashi, amazing, everything about this Pasuk is amazing. So it says that when we got to Mount Sinai, we, um, so it says, V'yichan sham Yisrael, and, 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 and the Jewish people encamped there, meaning at Mount Sinai. And the word in, encamped, right, um, the Yichan is, is uh, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, singular, right? So even though it's talking about a lot of people, it's, it's in the singular. And so Rashi brings that we were like one person, we were like one person with one heart, right? It's very poetic. It's very beautiful. But you know, how many hearts does a person have? (laughs) Right? Why do you have to say like one person with one heart? (laughs) If it's one person, it's one heart. (laughs) So one heart is obviously telling us something extra. So now let's go to the Via Hafta, because the Via Hafta says something very interesting. It says, Right? You should, you, should, you should love God with all. Levavcha is actually plural. It says, and it's talking about you individually. It says, if you, you know, we, we, we translate it in English as love God with all of your heart. But you know what the Hebrew is? The Hebrew is, and it's talking to you individually. Love God with all of your hearts. <laughs> so the Gemara is all over this. The Gemara has this question, like, well, what's going on? How many hearts does a person have? So they say, well, you have your Sahara and your Tov. You have your positive inclination and your evil inclination. And you should love God with both of your hearts. Meaning to say that, you know, you see, I remember... 
I remember someone was telling me one time that they were working out in a gym and and uh, I don't know how he got on to the subject, but he was telling me that, you know, that it's, uh, there's a lot of beautiful women to look at at the gym, right? And, you know, I was telling him, you know, maybe, you know, you should be careful with that. You know, because it says the, the eye sees and the heart desires, right? But the, the deeper teaching actually is, is that the, if the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see, by the way. But anyway, just in terms of the, 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 straight, the straightness of it, the eye sees and the heart desires. So then he says to me, well, um, if God didn't want me to look, why would he put them in front of me? Right? And I said to him, well, maybe God puts them in front of you for you not to look. Right? So. Yeah, I'm really sorry to interrupt again. I am. But does anybody in here have keys to the shoal? Because my girl's got. So from this we see that um, there are different ways of serving God. Sometimes it's to do something and sometimes it's to not do something. So in other words, sometimes God puts us, uh, gives us an opportunity for us not to do. And that would be an example of serving God with our Yetzirah. Meaning to say that, 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 that negative inclination, which creates a desire to do something we're not supposed to do, then we get to use that desire and then not do it. Right? But one has to be careful with this. One isn't supposed to stoke that desire. Like, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this big cheeseburger and put it right into my mouth and then not eat it. <laughs> oh, it's Sonic. No, you're a fool. <laughs> that's, a, that's, you know, there's a, there's a story in the Gomorrah about, you know, back, back in the day, um, you know, one of the most, you should just know historically, one of the most revolutionary things that has happened to the modern world is the washing machine. You know, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. The washing machine absolutely changed the world. Um, and before then, women would go to the river and they would like, you know, like take like shirts and like they would take like rocks and like hit the stains with rocks. I mean, and twist and scrub. And it was extremely laborious. I mean, it was like a, it was, it was, it was serious business. Now, you know, if, if, uh, the, the women who were in the water, their clothes would get wet. And if, you know, someone had too much time on their hands, they might want to hang out and watch the women wash clothing, right? So, 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 you know, the story that the Gomorrah tells is about a person who was walking to a place and he could either walk by the river where the women were washing the clothes, right? Or take another route. And he thought to himself, you know what? I'm going to walk by the route where the women are washing the clothing and not look. Because this is going to be an even higher level. Right? Because I have the opportunity maybe to be like a little bit, you know, skeevy. <laughs> and, and yet not be skeevy. <laughs> and the Gomorrah calls him a fool. Because there's one thing if a, a test confronts you, or temptation confronts you, and then you're able to use that Yetzirah to not do it, right? 
But it's a whole different category to put yourself in a place of testing and put yourself in a place of harm. And, and that is, 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 not, is, is not recommended at all. And this is especially true for um, people who are fighting uh, various addictions and things like that. A person has to be very, very careful what environments they allow themselves to go into or re-enter and things like that. Um, because uh, it says that the wise person is someone who thinks ahead. You have to anticipate what kind of situation you're going to get yourself into before you get into the situation. This is, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. Okay. So, so what I want to suggest now, returning back to the Pasuk, when it says, the Yichan Sham Yisrael, that, that, and that, that we encamp there, and remember, the Yichan is, is, is in the singular, even though it's describing all of the Jewish people, right? And Rashi is saying, like one person with one heart. This was the amazing thing. We were like with one heart, not with all of your hearts. Meaning to say we had refined ourselves to such a level that it's like we had just gotten rid of the Sahara totally. Right? And that's why it's saying with one heart instead of the normal language that's used in the Torah, which is that an individual has two hearts because we have two inclinations. But we were on such an exceedingly high level at Mount Sinai that it was like we were just had one heart, right? And in fact, the Gemara says in Gemara Shabbos that when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, we were like Adam and Chava before we had eaten from, from the, from the Eitzadas, from the Tree of Knowledge. So, so, so meaning to say that we, we had sort of like you know, spiritually ascended to this amazing place. But even then, there was a Yetzirah. Remember, like Reb Shlomo famously says that if the Garden of Eden was such a place of spiritual perfection, what was the snake doing there? Right? So even there, there was a level of test. But, but the Yetzirah was more outside of us. It existed, but it was like outside of us. But then when we listened to the snake, what happened was we internalized that energy. And all of a sudden, the Yetzirah became part of our spiritual makeup. Okay? So that's... But, but the Torah clarifies things. That's why we were able to, at the time of the giving of the Torah, again, separate ourselves from that energy. Right? So we were like one person with one heart. Okay. Now, I want to go deeper into this because we, we have a very interesting teaching that Rav Shlomo brings and based on a Zohar... And um, which is the following. Now, you know, there are different opinions uh, <coughs> regarding how the, um, the events of the Torah are described. Most um, of our Torah authorities say that the Torah is in fact out of order. Meaning to say that some events that happen later are listed earlier. And so whenever you see examples of this, it's very, very deep because the question is, why would God, so to speak, go out of his way to put this event later, even though it ha- happened earlier or vice versa? So it's very deep. Now, you have an opinion, famously the Ramban, who says that, no, really, you should just assume that the Torah is always chronologically in order, except for some very rare instances. Okay. 
But that's more of the minority opinion. So now, the, the, the sort of the consensus, or the, the rove, the, the majority of opinions, is that actually Parshas Yisro is, is chronologically out of order, in a very, very fascinating way. Because we know that the Parsha is named after Yisro, which in itself is amazing, because, you know, this is, Moshe is getting the Torah at Mount Sinai, right? When Moshe was on Mount Sinai, he didn't eat or drink for 40 days. That's not, by the way, a medrash. That the Torah itself testifies to the fact that Moshe didn't eat or drink for 40 days. And not only that, it says that every he was up there for three periods of 40 days, right? During the initial giving of the Torah. And then he comes down on the 17th of Tammuz. That's when the tablets are smashed and because of the golden calf. Moshe then goes back up to Mount Sinai and prays for another 40 days for the Jews to be forgiven. Again, doesn't eat or drink for those 40 days. Comes back down. God says, okay, now go back. Everyone's forgiven. Go back up and and we're going to give you the tablets again. These are the second tablets. Okay? And again, he's up there from Rosh Chodesh Elul now till he comes down 40 days later on Yom Kippur. And that's really the, the power of Yom Kippur is that's, that's when he's coming down and that's the full forgiveness of the golden calf. Okay, we say that till this day we're still paying it off, but nonetheless, that's, that's the full forgiveness of the, of, of, the, of the golden calf and that's on Yom Kippur, not coincidentally. Okay? So three 40-day periods, which by the way adds up to what? 120. And how long did Moshe live? 120 years. Okay? Torah Chaim. The Torah of life, you know? So, so, so it's not just like the Torah. See, to me, I'm just speaking personally right now. One of, to me, the, I don't want to say use the word proof because proof is, um, is, is actually the, the exact wrong word because God preserves a free choice. We talked about it in last week's talk, right? The definition of belief. If you want to look up that talk, it's called the definition of belief. That God preserves free choice for us always. Even in the face of miracles, God preserves free choice for us. Because as the best example of this is that the Torah itself, when it's talking about the splitting of the Red Sea, the greatest revealed open miracle probably ever, the Torah itself says, and God blew a wind that lasted the entire night and the sea split. So anyone can say, well, there was a wind alert. Right? Very strong wind. And that's what separated the sea. It just happened to be that the Jews got lucky that they were about to get completely mass slaughtered, but there was a very strong wind that whole night and it split the sea. So in other words, you can say, well, it was the sea, or you can say, no, Moshe, God told Moshe, raise your staff, right? And as we said, you know, this is another talk if you want to look at it, the power of Moshe's staff, right? We said that a few weeks ago. The amazing thing, this amazing thing, which is that when when God gives Moshe the charge, the 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 the, the command to take the Jews out of Egypt, right? There's this whole long negotiation by the burning bush, which took seven days, the Talmud says, right? Where Moshe keeps on saying no, and and basically, you know, on a deeper level, Moshe is saying. 
to, to God, let this be the final redemption, because God has already hinted to Moshe that this is not going to be the final redemption. And Moshe is really trying to campaign that this should be it, you know? Anyway, so one of the signs that, that God gives uh, Moshe, um, you know, to show the Jewish people that, that, that he's for real, is that he says, put down your staff, and it turns into a snake. And says, Moshe ran from the snake. Right? And the Shnei uh, Aluchos, uh, right? Says that that was the snake from the Garden of Eden. Right? That the snake from the... That's why Moshe ran. Because if you're a... If you're a, if, if you're a shepherd in the middle of the Sinai Desert, I don't think that you can have that job and be afraid of snakes. Mm-hmm. And like run every time you see a snake. You know? But it says Moshe ran. Because this was it. This was the snake from the Garden of Eden that's showing up. Okay? So, so what's, the, what's the point? The point is that Moshe's staff was harnessed harnessed primeval snake energy. <laughs> Remember, the word for nachash, which means snake, is the same gematria as Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Right? 358. It's an incredible thing. Meaning to say that that, that, <coughs> that energy, which is like raw and untamed, has to be tamed. Right? It has to be harnessed. And then when you harness that energy, that's the stuff of miracles. Then all of reality changes, right? So when God says, take the staff and split the sea, I mean, you know, what was that staff that Moshe was holding? Really incredible, actually, you know? So, but, or you could say it was the wind. (laughs) Right? It's, It's your choice. God will always preserve free choice, even in the face of the greatest miracles. God will always preserve free choice. God will always give us the ability to say, no, actually it was me. I did it. You know, I'm so smart. I'm so great looking. I'm so this. I'm so that. Right? It was really me. Right? Everyone will have that choice, always. Okay. So, so let's go further. So again, again, in terms of the sequentiality um, of the Torah, whether the Torah is in chronological order or not, the majority opinion is actually that we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai first, and then Yisro comes. Then Yisro comes. But the way the Torah is revealed to us is we have the Parsha of Yisro coming first, and then the Torah being revealed. Alright, so now why is this being resequenced? What What is being taught to us about this resequencing of the Torah? Obviously there has to be something very deep and meaningful here. Mm-hmm. Also, understand this. There is no Parsha in the Torah called Parshas Moshe. That's an amazing thing. If there's one Parsha in the Torah that should be called Parsha's Moshe, it should be when he gets the Torah at Mount Sinai. I mean, this is his crowning moment. This is the crowning achievement of humanity in all of history, receiving the Torah. It should be Parsha's Moshe. 
So first of all, it's another level of just Moshe's humility. Not that Moshe was deciding the, the names of the Parshas, but nonetheless, you know, and it's also another testimony, the fact that it was named after someone who converted to Judaism. A non-Jew is to show you the universality of all of the Torah. That the Torah is all for all of humanity. It's for all of humanity. And of course we have what, what's known as the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, the seven universal mitzvahs. That every single person in the entire world has a share in the Torah. The Torah is for everyone. Um, again, let's return to this question now. Why is the Torah beginning with Yisro and Moshe and this whole um, incidence between the two of them before we get to the revelation of the Torah when in fact the whole Yisro-Moshe thing happened after the Torah was given. So Reb Shlomo says, based on a Zohar, that, um, that Yisro and, and Moshe were the reincarnations of Cain and Abel. Cain and Hevel. And that there was a big tikkun going on over here between the two of them. Right? So we have to figure out what was the tikkun. Like, you could say, well, what did Hevel have to do? Right? Hevel was murdered by his brother. Hevel offered a offering to God that God accepted, showing that he's really a, a great tzaddik. He didn't take Cain's, you know, offering. And then Cain kills Hevel. What did Hevel do? And Hevel becomes Moshe. All the more so, like, how blameless could a person be than Moshe? So, so what are you telling me that, um, what are you telling me that, that, uh, that Moshe has something to, that, 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 that Hevel has something to fix. But, but according to the Zohar, he does have something to fix. Right? So what is it? See, you know, there's, there's, um, just to put it into modern terms, if you're into this sort of stuff, interesting, uh, you know, evaluation. People are trying to wrap their minds around who is, uh, Steve Jobs, right? We know he ran Apple and, you know, everything like this. And, and, and one of the appreciations that was written about him after he died was it referred to him as the great tinkerer. Like, he took what was already there. And, it, and I guess the person who's, like, largely credited with what was already there was, was Wozniak, right? This, this other super genius, right? He, he took what was there and he, he fine-tuned it. He, made it. he made it better. He made it something that people could actually use. And then that can open up all sorts of philosophical debates like who is the, who's making the better contribution? The one who brings it into the world or the one who actually allows you to use it, right? So, you know, that's something you can think about. But, but, but the scholars who study these things will tell you that Steve Jobs was the one who just sort of like fine-tuned what was there. That was his major contribution, but that was a giant contribution. Okay. So why are we talking about them? Because the idea to bring an offering to God was Cain's idea. And this was an enormous chiddish. This was a breakthrough brand new idea. To show your appreciation to God by taking something of what you have and to want to give it back to God, 
This was huge. But then Hevel comes along, Abel comes along, and he says, you know what? As long as we're going to give back to God, let's give from our best stuff. He fine-tuned it. But you know what? He never said to Cain, you know what? You had such a good idea. You taught me something. Didn't say that. And and there's a there's another medrash that says that they were born with twins. Right? Because where were the people coming from? Who was where was the population of the world coming from? So it says that Cain that Abel was born with that Cain was born with a twin sister, right? Because there have to be some women for the men to marry there, right? So Cain was born with a twin sister, but it said that Hevel was born with two twin sisters. So there was uh, a jealousy there from Cain to Hevel. Like, what's this? You have two twin sisters. I have only one sister. You know? And then when it says that Cain killed Hevel, right? It doesn't say what they were fighting about. And the rabbis explain it doesn't matter what they were fighting about. Cain was mad. See, did you ever get into a fight with someone where you're arguing about something really stupid, Mm -hmm. but you're not arguing about what you're arguing about? You know, can you just put the dish back into the cabinet? Why are you making such a big fight about that? Because you missed my birthday. You know how important my birthday is to me. You didn't express to me that, that you love me. So now it happens to be that we're fighting about a plate, but we're not fighting about a plate. And that's what the rabbi said, that, that when Cain went to kill Abel, it, it says they, they, they argued, basically. But it, everyone wants to know, what did they argue about? And the rabbis are saying, it doesn't matter what they, they argued about. So what they argued about was not what was really going on. There was a level of discontent and dislocation and jealousy that was existing, right? No one is going to have exactly what everyone else has in this world. You are not going to be able to look at all your friends and colleagues and everything like that, and everyone has exactly the same. And now, finally, I'm happy. You know what? They tried to do that. They tried to do that. It was called communism. Mm. And you know what the result of communism was? The death of tens of millions of people. The enslavement of a giant population under the idea that let's all be equal. Equality in this way, in terms of this type of equality, is an illusion. Not only is it an illusion, it's a delusion. We just have to just got to get it straight. This person's going to have these things. I'm going to have these things. This person's going to have these issues. I'm going to have these issues. You know what? After 120, we'll meet in Shemayim and party. <laughs> you know? We'll be happy then. <laughs> no one's going to have any tainas or complaints. You know, let's just get through this life as best we can, do the best we can, and that's what it is. You know? So, so how much better would it have been if Hevel had given covet, had given honor to Cain? If, 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 if Cain, who is already jealous of... Now, you could say, couldn't have God given an extra sister to, to Cain? 
Or couldn't he have given one less sister to heaven? But that's not what this world is. This world is everyone's going to have different things. And that's what it is. And we just have to be cool with that. You know, because that's part of the fixing of the world. It's part of the fixing of the world. To distill that energy and to clarify that energy. So, so, so what if Hevel had given covet to kind? What if he had said, you know something? That, what a, what an idea. You're telling me we should take from what we have and to, and, and as a, as an expression of thanks, give it back to God. That's incredible. You know, what if we gave our best stuff? And then kind would feel good, right? Like, oh, I had a great idea and everything like that. Now I feel better about myself. Now all of a sudden I don't care about the sister situation. Right? I don't, I, don't, I don't care about these things. And then we can try this and you got your idea for me and it only worked because of my idea and everything like this. Okay. So now you'll get a, a, a tiny appreciation, I hope, about the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu right now. Now remember, Yisro shows up, and 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 the commentators are telling us that Yisro really showed up after the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, even though this chapter appears before. Okay, so Moshe has just gone up to heaven, has just received the Torah, right, and now he comes back down, and Yisro shows up, and he starts telling him how to run the show. You know what? People are waiting online too long to hear what you have to say. Here's how you should organize everything. <laughs> and Moshe, who's just been in direct communion with God, <laughs> says, oh yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Let's do that. Can you imagine the greatness and the humility of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Like, 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 how easy would it have been for him to say, chutzpah, <laughs> chutzpah, you're telling me what to do and how to do it? Do you know who you're talking to? My friend, I love you very much, but, you know, you may have known me and dealt with me before the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai. <laughs> But, you know, things have changed a little bit. I don't know if you read the papers, right? Do you know who I am? Right? The fact that Moshe has just essentially demonstrated that he's the greatest person to have ever lived. And now Yisro shows up and starts giving him advice. And Moshe goes, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah, great idea. Let's do that. And it's, you know... It was pointed out that the, the, the phrase low tov, which means not good, that's a pretty strong thing, low tov. Yisro actually says to Moshe, this is low tov. <laughs> it's like he's not mincing words. Like, you're messing up. You're messing the whole thing up. So, so Moshe gives covet. He gives honor to Yisro, and this is the rectification. This is the tikkun of Hevel 
not having given honor to Cain. That's how it all comes together. And now Moshe, now uh, Reb Shlomo says something unbelievable. He says, "Do you know why it was put? Do you know why it was put before the giving of the Torah, even though it happened after the giving of the Torah, to show that we have to get along with each other before, as a precondition before the Torah can be given." You have to figure out how to get along with each other before we can receive the Torah. Right? That's why this chapter between Yisro and, and, and Moshe is put before the giving of the Torah, even though it really happened afterwards. That's why God, so to speak, rearranged everything in order that this lesson should be front and center about how important it is for us to be at peace with each other before we can receive the Torah. But I had a question on this which is that, didn't we say before we gave the Torah, before we received the Torah, sham Yisrael, bless you, that the Jewish people encamp there like one person with one heart? Didn't we just say before we received the Torah that we were all getting along with each other in the most unbelievable way? So then why is it that the Torah has to be rearranged to show Yisro and, 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 and Moshe, Cain and Hevel, getting it together. The whole nation is getting it together. That's my question. So I want to suggest an answer. See, there are a lot of people who are universalists. They believe in global peace and love. And at the same time, they're miserable people. They can't get along with anybody. <laughs> Right? You see, it's one thing for, oh, the whole nation's got to get together and I believe in unity, and why are you stepping on my foot? (laughs) Right? It's like the most beautiful words come out. But when it comes to the here and now and actually getting along with someone, you can't do it. See, it's not enough for there just to be like this whole universal, we're like one person with one heart. Right? You also have to actually be able to get along with someone who you don't get along with. Mm-hmm. Or, and by the way, one of the techniques, I'm going to talk about a couple of techniques. One of the techniques, if you just can't get along with someone, because you have a mitzvah to love every Jew. So what's, what's a technique? Love them from afar. <laughs> right? A very wise rabbi told us that one time. Certain people you can just love from afar. You know, you don't have to be in a fight with them, but it doesn't mean you have to be their best friend either, right? You can have a good heart toward them, but you love them from afar. That's what it is. So that's one technique. Now I want to say in the name of my father, Allah Shalom, Leib ben Tzvi Halevi, so Sneshama, my parents, all of us, all of our parents should have or in the next world, their neshama should have aliyahs, elevations, Amen. should go up. So he taught me something uh, uh, very that, that was sort of a, a real life-changing thing. My father was a psychologist. He practiced for 50 years. Um, and he talked about the importance of not winning fights, um, arguments. And what he, he, he would say, if one person wins, that means the other person loses. Yeah. And if the other person loses, 
After a while, resentment builds up, and then the relationship explodes and ends. You see, a lot of people, if there's a disagreement, the, the goal, if you have a disagreement with someone, is just to clarify why was there a disagreement or to resolve the disagreement. It's not to win the fight. See? That's a whole extra overlay which comes from ego and often from just ignorance. You don't have to win a fight. You don't have to win a fight. You just want to clarify and resolve whatever the disagreement is. Do, do you hear the difference? In other words, let's say someone did you wrong and you say to them, well, you know, what, what, what was the deal with that? And they go, oh, well, such and such, uh, such and such a thing happened. And you go, okay, but you know, next time, please try to be mindful of that because it hurt my feelings. And the other person goes, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that, right? And then you don't need this extra step to say, so therefore I was right and you were wrong, right? <laughs> like that is, do you hear how completely unnecessary that is? Because now it's sort of like, now we can't just resolve this. Now we don't leave this discussion until we establish that I'm better than you. Why? What? Why? 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 And people actually do this. I am embarrassed to tell you, but I just, just so we know that people do this, I've actually found myself saying, so therefore I was right. <laughs> right? In an argument. Right? Because I wasn't thinking clearly. Because I was being an idiot. Why is that necessary? Why do you have to exact that from the other person? You, you don't. And you shouldn't. Right? So just if your goal in terms of getting along with people, because why are we talking about this? Because of Yisro and, and Moshe, right? Because Cain and Hevel, right? The, as a precondition to receiving the Torah, you can't just be a universalist. Like, I believe in unity and peace and love and, you know, now I'm yelling at you, right? To get along with another person just you res- your goal should just to be res- to resolve whatever the issue is and then you don't have to be right and they don't have to be wrong because again to return to what my father was saying if over the course of a relationship i win that means you lose and after a while you can only lose so many times before you start to hate the other person right so just avoid that dynamic to begin with So, so Reb Shlomo says something awesome, 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 awesome. So the verse, it's um, Shmos, Exodus 20, um, uh, 15, it says, the entire people saw the voice, right? The sound of the shofar the smoking mountain. So, Rabbi Shlomo wants to darshan these things. He says that if, if you want to be a Mount Sinai person, he says you have to have these three things. You have to be able to have before you at all times the past, the present, and the future. 
a very, this is a very, very important idea. You have to have before you at all times the past, the <coughs> present, and the future if you want to be like a Mount Sinai person. And that's what this verse is talking about. They saw the voice of God, right? So on a simple level, they heard the voice of God. But the Torah actually says they saw the voice of God, right? And there's actually a scientific term for this. It's called synesthesia, where you actually are able to hear colors and see sounds. This is a real thing. I know someone who has this, right? They can tell you, and, and there are other people, if you go online, synesthesia, if you Google this, you can see there are people who will tell you with very exact language what different colors taste like. Like there's this overlapping of the senses. It's a very amazing thing. Because basically we were having this out-of-body experience at Mount Sinai, and all the senses were overlapping. It was quite amazing, right? So... But on the simple level, we heard God's voice. All right? It says we saw God's voice, but we heard God's voice. Um, so, so that's the present. Right? Then it says, we saw the flames. Right? Because Mount Sinai was covered in fire. It's an awesome thing. And actually, there's a teaching that says that when God spoke, that all the letters and the words formed in fire so that we could actually see the words because they were written in fire blazing across the sky. Right? That's a, another level to what we're talking about. But Reb Shlomo says something very profound. He says, you know what it means that we, we, we saw the fire? That we saw Auschwitz. That we saw all the fires that we were going, that, 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 we'll, that, that we'll have gone through. We we'll saw all the troubles of our past. Remember, this is talking in the, the greatest sense because it hadn't happened yet. But nonetheless, meaning all of the troubles that we've been through and will have ever have been through. Right? That's the fire. And then it says we heard the trumpet. That's the future. That's the shofar blast of Mashiach. So... So listen to this. I'm going to read his words. Do you know what this means? If you are a Mount Sinai person, you have to see the whole picture. The moment you want to be a Jew, you have to connect yourself to the past, present, and future picture. You have to hear God's voice. You have to have a taste of all the fires we have gone through. But ultimately, you also have to hear the blowing of the trumpet. Otherwise, you don't understand what's going on. See, the world is advancing toward redemption. And all the, all the present and all the past is all part of the future which we're heading towards still. And if you don't have the future, the fixing of the world, the perfection of the world, which is the destiny of the world, which we're, which we're driving to every single second, then you don't have the full picture of what's going on. So... I want to just end, you know, we were talking about it yesterday a little bit on Shabbos, but just want to share it with you and we'll, we'll finish with this. Um, so in, in, in college, I, I, uh, at, at, the, at the end of my uh, freshman year, I, I heard some 
of my classmates talking, right? And this one saying, you know, I, I went to Harvard, so these were like everyone was like fancy, right? So this one is saying I'm going to like Asia or whatever it is, and the other one saying I'm I'm working for this bank or whatever. And I didn't know that I was supposed to do something on my summer vacation, right? So I, I didn't know what to do. So I called my mother. I said, what should I do? And she said, well, I can talk to... I lived in New York City on 79th and Broadway. My, my mom said, I can talk to the superintendent and you can be an elevator man in the building. And I said, all right, make the call. You know. So she calls me back. She says, you got the job. So I was very happy. So, so, and I actually ended up being an elevator man all three summers of college, and actually when I graduated as well, I got my job back for a short period of time. Um, and uh, while I was on the elevator, I, I wanted to use the time wisely, so I was reading like stacks of books of like great literature, and that's, that's when I realized that I wanted to be a writer. So it was because, strangely, that I became an elevator man that I became a writer. So it's, you know, the way, the way things happen, you know? Um, one of the things that I noticed, because I really had such a short period of time, I only wanted to win book, read books that uh, were written by Nobel Prize winners, um, or books that had won the Pulitzer Prize or something like this. I only wanted to read like the, the best, highest quality literature. Um, and um, one of the things that I noticed was that genius happens in real time. Now, I'll tell you what I mean by that, because that's sort of the key phrase here. That there were great writers who their earlier books or their earlier writing was good, but it wasn't great. It was good. It showed promise. It was, it was good. And then all of a sudden, because they worked and worked and worked and worked, they write a book that wins the Nobel Prize for Literature. It, it was amazing. I mean, an author wins it for his whole career, but they usually focus on one book, oftentimes, that the author's written. You know? And so I realized that something like, you can be writing newspaper articles or short stories or whatever it is, but you're like, good, and you keep on working to make yourself better, and then you really apply yourself, and if you've got the goods, and you're really working hard, all of a sudden, that time when you sit down, that hundredth time, or that thousandth time, or that five thousandth time, out of your pen comes Nobel Prize winning words. <laughs> like, and I heard Rabbi Green say one time, I don't know if he called it this, but this is what he was talking about, that America suffers from like the Spider-Man syndrome, which is that we think that all of a sudden, like you get bitten by the, you get bitten by the radioactive Spider-Man and now I have superpowers. Like that was easy. Like all of a sudden I'm great. <laughs> Right? And we leave out the whole struggle and we leave out all the work that goes into really something. You know, I don't know if I've shared it with you before, but one of the things that, it's one of my favorite things in the world, I do this especially when I walk to shul or when I drive by certain places, I love watching buildings being constructed. You know? And, and I always like see like, okay, what's new? What was added? You know, what was added? Like, oh yeah, that's new, that's new. Or now, you know what, they finished digging the foundation, now they're starting to put, now they're starting to build the thing. And the reason why I love it is because the, 
progress is so slow. But within a fairly finite amount of time, there it is! Wow! And you know, people walk by it and they think it was always there, it was always like that. But I saw it being built. And this is true for a person as well. Right? Because what are we doing when we're studying Torah? What are we doing when we're doing mitzvahs? What are we doing during our, our years in this world? We're building ourselves. We're building ourselves. We're making something out of ourselves. We're taking what we've been given, all the pluses and all the minuses, by the way, that we've inherited from our genes and from our upbringing, because everyone grows up with pluses and minuses. And we do our best to get rid of the minuses and to accentuate the pluses, right? And, and, and that's it. So, so this idea that genius happens in real time, that there's a moment where all of a sudden the person goes from being someone who's writing something, right, to use the author example, to someone who's like, wow, you know, like here it is. It didn't, it didn't just happen out of nowhere. Okay. So Reb Shlomo shares a story he says, like, during the early 60s, right? Maybe it was the late 50s, I don't know. That the Hebra, right? The people who had, you know, learned Torah from him. and That in, in, in Yerushalayim, that there was one guy who was like, sort of like, he describes him like as like a, like a juvenile, delinquent, underground type personality, right? So this like guy was a little bit of a, you know, bit, of, bit way out, you know? And he said that, that they would give him, like, a lot of covet, right, a lot of honor, like to build him up, to make him feel good, you know? Now, when the, when the 67 war happened, everybody knows that the reason why the, um, Israel won such an amazing victory was because all of the planes that the Egyptian Air Force had, they were all on the tarmac, they were all ready to take off, to, to bomb Israel, right? Uh, Nasser, who was the head of not only Egypt, but he, was, he, he, he initiated something called Pan-Arabism, which was to unite the entire Arab world behind him. And he publicly declared over and over again, we are going to drive Israel into the sea. We are going to wipe out the entire state. The whole world was in, the Jewish world was in mourning before the Six-Day War. Like, people forget that part. I mean, it was this, wow. They declared that they were going to attack us over and over again and destroy us and wipe us out. And then what happened was something amazing. We flew in planes before they attacked and we eliminated the entire Egyptian Air Force on the tarmac. Not one plane was able to take off. Can you imagine? The entire Egyptian Air Force was decimated before one plane took off. So Reb Shlomo was playing to, to this last day. He was playing, giving concerts um, to Israeli soldiers around the country. He did that for decades. And after the Six-Day War, they took him in a helicopter to an army base to meet one of the pilots that, in Reb Shlomo's words, was 
saved three million lives, right? And it was this guy that he used to, it was this guy that used to hang out with them, who they'd give covet to, right? They built him up, right? Right? He was one of the guys. So Reb Shlomo says he changed. He changed. He reached beyond himself. He reached beyond himself. And so what I want to suggest to all of us is that those moments that we have where we reach beyond ourselves, that that's genius happening in real time. That thought, that desire, is the beginning of our change. It's happening in real time. And when that happens, when you feel that, you've got to hold on to it with all of your might and not let go of it, and not let go of it, because that will carry you into becoming a hero. Here are some questions and answers. Um, so yeah, so Moshe wasn't just giving lip service to Yisro and saying, oh, you know, I want to make you feel good, so I'm going to organize, you know, the court system and take your advice and everything like that. It was from genuine, genuine humbleness, humility, that, that he wasn't putting his own greatness as a stumbling block before him, stopping him from hearing words of that he could further, he, he feel, um, improve things. So, so two, two points on that. One, a, a teaching from the Kutzka Rebbe, which is amazing. But, but first, um, you know, I, I often point out, because I love it so much, that, that our greatest people are, are called Tamiri Chachamim, which, which, which are the masters of Torah. But, it, it, but, but it, we don't call them master. A Talmud Chacham means a wise student. That's the actual translation. So it's, it's, it's quite telling about who the Jewish people are, that our, great, our greatest leaders are called students, because a student is someone who continues to learn. So the mark of if someone wants to be, as Reb Shlomo would say, for real, if you want to be for real, you have to be in a constant place of always being able to learn and to accept you know, revisions, and to always think of yourself as a work in progress. Because once you decide that you've arrived, and it's the other people who have to get it together, then that's the, the greatest sign that you've blown it, basically. Um, so that's number one. The Kutzka Rebbe says something in his amazing way, so insightful. Says that almost every mitzvah um, requires kavana before you do it, meaning Kavana means like holy intention. Like you have to, like for instance, before you, ideally you don't just mumble a bracha. Like, you know, you know, and you don't even know if you said it then. And then you have a whole new halachic problem. Did I even say the bracha? You know, it's, it's complicated, you know. But as I heard Rabbi Graydon say one time, all you, have, all you need is one second to make a good bracha. One second before you make the bracha, you say, now I'm going to make a bracha. Then you'll actually say the words clearly. So just taking one second and having like one second's kavana, literally one second, before you make a bracha will, will make the difference between what kind of bracha you make or not, okay? So that, that's, that's what it means before you do any mitzvah to have some kavana beforehand, some, some focus beforehand. So the Kutzka Rebbe says, every mitzvah requires this except the mitzvah of humility. Because if you say, now I'm going to be humble. 
This is the greatest proof that you're total arrogant. That, 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 this whole, that this whole demonstration of humility now is going to be a total act. Right? See? If you have, it's got to be real. You've got to actually be in the space where you're thinking, okay, I really can improve. Not, I should think that I can improve. Or, you know, probably I can improve. No! You can improve. We can all improve. You know? And if that's really how you think, then, you see, but the thing is, is that as a person becomes more and more accomplished or more and more or older or whatever it is, sometimes just age alone will do it, you be, the person becomes more solidified in their ways. And, you know, like the Kutzker Rebbe says in, in another place, that, um, that at a certain point we become imitations of ourselves, that we live out the rest of our lives just imitating who we've been up until now. You know, this is, you know... It means that a person at some point, consciously or unconsciously, usually unconsciously, decides, you know what, this is who I am, I've gotten it right. And then at that point that they've done it, that's the beginning of the end. Because then they go through the rest of their life just as an imitation of who they've been up until that moment. They're just imitating themselves for the rest of their lives instead of being in the moment and actually living and growing. Right, and he says that's where that is the that moment is the onset of old age. That's where a person becomes quote unquote old. Exactly. 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 And because he's saying something magnificent here, because he's saying that that being old has nothing to do with your age. A person can be old, and they could be nine years old if they're very stubborn and very arrogant, they can be old at nine. Or they can be young at 102. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Our, yeah. Gabriel, say that one more time. was brought down in that the question was asked, who is wise? Yeah. One who learns forever. That's right. That's right. And that's it. And if we have that attitude, then, then a person's in great shape. You know, I heard a, a related teaching, a little different, but it, this will, is a companion piece to create this mindset. That, that Now, I'm not talking about low self-esteem. This is not about low self-esteem. Okay, You have to have strong self-esteem. But within the context of having strong self-esteem, listen to the following. You should, a person should think of everyone else as better than them. If someone is older than you, you think they have more wisdom than I do. If someone is younger than you, say, they have less sins than I do. <laughs> so in this way, you can think of every person that you interact with as better than you. But that doesn't mean you feel bad about yourself. You have to feel good about yourself. But you can also think that, oh, but everyone, they either know more or they've done wor- less worse things. And this way, this is another way of staying open to being able to hear wisdom from other people. Because then you've elevated everyone around you. And then, of course, you want to hear from them. Right? This person knows more than I do. This person is purer than I am. Right? So everyone will be able to teach you something. It's fascinating because we can see that in our thumbprint, that everybody is so uniquely different. Yeah. And if we can learn one thing from somebody else because of our differences, we've just learned one more thing. Right. You know, Rabbi Freeman said it so beautifully yesterday. He said that at Mount Sinai, we all got a different aspect. It's one Torah, 
but we all saw it from a different angle. And because of that, if you want to know the entire Torah, you must hear another person's ideas, because otherwise you're not getting that piece from Mount Sinai, because they got it and you didn't get it. Right? So the entire, in, in order to get the entire Torah, you must be in a place where you're learning and hearing from other people. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like Moshe Rabbeinu was also, he's coming straight from the source, coming straight from Hashem, but if somebody's talking to him, right. that's a continuation of Hashem telling him more. Yeah, right, and that's beautiful because that's, that's, that, that is, in other words, how was Moshe able to hear from Yisra after he heard from God? Because, because he understood, because he understood that Yisra also is, is bringing him something from on high. Yeah. I also wanted to say that um, I'm surrounded sometimes in my work by people who are very peace and loving, and at the same time, it's only if they only believe in free speech if they agree with what you have to yeah. say. Exactly, and <laughs> you know, you know, I, I once heard Rabbi Green say this. It made a big impression on me, which is that there are a lot of people who are tolerant about everything, but they're except intolerance. Yeah. So, so, so. It doesn't mean that if we see evil or wickedness that we're not supposed to make some sort of statement about injustice. We, we are supposed to make a statement about injustice. And sometimes God shows us injustice or allows injustice to exist only so that we should do our best to try to rectify it. Right? Um, but, but, but this idea that I'm, intol- I'm tolerant of every opinion until I encompass encounter rather someone who's intolerant, then I become intolerant of your intolerance. <laughs> then what happened to my tolerance? Mm. My, my tolerance is a, is, a, is a total fiction. But you're also saying that there has to be an ultimate truth to know what true evil is. I mean, I have friends that are saying to me, we should just really sit down with ISIS and listen to that. No. I'm like, right. oh, are you kidding? I, I know right. you've grown up in D.C. and you think <laughs> like this. But there actually is evil in this world, and they don't want to hear it. Right. This is yeah. This is a very, this is a very um, deep. This is a very deep subject. You know, there are a lot of people who just are very challenged by the idea of evil. And 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 I'll tell you something. There there is a thought that because God fills the entire world, that even within the evil there's a spark of something holy. Because, because evil, even evil exists within godliness. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to stamp it out. You see, that's, 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 that's a valuable perspective because on some level it validates what they are saying. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that their approach is correct. On a soul level, they're, they're connecting to the good that's actually within everything. But there are certain things that just have the tiniest spark. And the way God himself, who put that shred of good in it, wants us to react to that is for it to be, you know, dealt with. Is that like the you snake? Know? Like the snake. Right. So, so again, what was... God put the snake into the Garden of Eden. And, 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 and yes... And what were we supposed to do? Not listen to it. So there are, you know, I remember 
thinking that this idea that, you know, life is filled with tests and things like this. And I remember thinking that that was a very non-Jewish idea. But can I tell you, it is so Jewish, it's ridiculous. It is utterly, it is, it's utterly Jewish. We are tested all the time, all the time. But here's the, here's the twist and the important thing from the one who loves us the most. From the one who loves us the most and the one who wants, who has an idea behind it and who is transacting the perfection of the world through these tests, through allowing us to take what's inside of us, the best aspects inside of us, and to overcome challenges and to put the best aspects of ourselves into the world, because that emits an awesome light into the world. And that's the harmonizing of all these energies and everything like that, and the, and, and the gateway to perfection. The art is to use that energy, like you mentioned earlier, it's fascinating, because in this art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for example, which is a martial art, you take the force that is coming at you and you yeah. use it to your benefit. Yes. So even even the the Yitzhar Hara that we talk about, you take that you, and you mentioned you use that force, that fuel, right. to power you to something good. Right. And even if a ne- you take a negative comment, you can actually take that negative comment and turn it positive. Like for for example, this ISIS. So we should sit down and talk to ISIS. You can simply say, <laughs> what what should we talk to them about? And all of a sudden, it went from something negative to something that could actually come to some sort of idea or answer. Right. Yeah, very beautiful. Okay.